I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher here at Grace and Truth Ministries. I've been teaching to you about God creating evil. He said he did. There's not just one verse about it. I did a paper. It's the title of the paper is, Does God Create Evil? And I've got probably several hundred verses out of the Old Testament that says God creates evil. Or God brings evil upon upon Israel, upon Babylon, upon Persia, upon Greece. He brings evil upon the world. Evil is God's method of destroying the wicked and honing the righteous to a peak of of uh, holiness and truth. That's what it's about. It's for our good. When the Bible says we know that all things work together for good, people quote that and they don't even know what it's about. Good is the word agathos, A-G-A-T-H-O-S. And agathos means beneficial. It's to our benefit. What things is he talking about? He's talking about everything, everything that we have to go through to get rid of that outer man. We've got an outer man that's sin. We serve the law of the flesh according to Romans 7 and 25. 725. There's a, there is a sinful man in us and then there's a righteous man to the believer. That's the new birth. We were born again. And this righteous man is at war with that outer man, which is this fleshly man. This fleshly man cannot quit sinning. But he will reduce his sin. He won't do it. God will reduce his sin over years. Everybody is made of the same stuff. They're made of corrupt dust. And we will sin. And God will put us through fire and trial and tribulation. That is exactly what Romans, when the Bible speaks of Romans 8. Romans 8, where he says, And we all know that all things work together for good. 8.28, all preachers quote that, and they don't even know that all the things he's talking about was what he was saying right before that about our groaning. All through that chapter he's talking about we groan together. The word groan is S-T-E-N-A-Z-O. Stenazo is the verb form of stenos. Stenos is the word straight, is the gate, and narrow is the way. It's the word straight, and the verb form is stenazo, and that's the word groan. So when we're going through this straight gate, and it's narrow, and people are pressing us from all sides because they hate the doctrines that we preach, predestination, Christmas is pagan, God doesn't love everybody, daily cross, death to self, self-denial. They hate those doctrines, and they pressure us from all sides and that's the straight and narrow way 
Narrow is the word thalibo, T-H-L-I-B-O, and that is the verb form of the noun, thalipsis, T-H-L-I-P-S-I-S, which is the word tribulation. That's the word Paul used in Acts 14.22 when he said we must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God. And he's talking about the narrow way. We have to enter the kingdom of heaven through the narrow way and we will be groaning and that is the things that will work together for our good in Romans 8 and 28. And then the next verse says, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. That groaning we're going through is the predestinating act of God to cause us to give up this outer man. And it might take 30, 40 years. I didn't want to give up the outer man. When I was 30 and 35, I wanted to be famous, a famous singer, a famous tenor singer. Boy, I had a great voice back then. If God had left me alone, but he wouldn't, he gave me chronic bronchial asthma. And I fought that over the years. I couldn't hardly get over it. Had the voice as long as I was in good voice. Even the piano player that played for me one time, he said, well, Brown would probably be one of the greatest tenor singers in gospel music if he could only stay well. But I couldn't. God wouldn't let me. God may give you a gift so he can take it away from you. It doesn't mean because you're able to do something. That's what you're supposed to do. That doesn't have anything to do with what you're supposed to do. Now, (coughs) I've got this paper that I wrote on this. What I'm doing, I'm approaching this from the Old Testament. Over in, in 2 Samuel, I talked about David. I'm just beginning on this thing of God creating evil. i got to go through all this paper, and I haven't even started on it. I went through the front part, God creates evil, or I will not pity. God kept saying that over and over. I will not pity. I'll kill kill old men. I'll kill young men. I'll kill young women. I'll kill the babies, and I'll do it for my purposes. He says, I work all things after the counsel of my own will. Now, God creates evil. We're talking about David's life in Second Samuel, the 12th chapter. Because David committed a murder when he had that Uriah the Hittite murdered in battle, because he committed adultery with his wife, Bathsheba, then God says to Nathan, you go tell David and preach to him. So you tell him, you're the man that stole this man's one little ewe lamb. Thou art the man, David. And David cried and wept. And God sent Nathan the prophet to him to prophesy to him there in the, fourth, in the 10th verse of the 12th chapter of Second Samuel. And this is what Nathan says to David. Therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, David. What does he mean by that? He means... The only way you can get to the king of Israel, if you go back and look at the previous chapters, David is conquering everybody in and around Israel. And then in the 11th chapter, he sees Bathsheba. She's bathing on a housetop. He knows her because her grandfather is his chief counselor. His name is Ahithophel. He, she had to have come into the palace at some place in time saying, Is my grandfather Ahithophel here? And David knew who she was. 
She was beautiful. And he wanted her. And he took her, got her pregnant, and then had her husband, Uriah the Hittite, put in the heat of battle and, and had his nephew Joab to withdraw from him so he'd be killed in the battle because he couldn't get out of the fact that Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, was going to have a baby and is going to end up looking like David. Now, and Nathan says, verse 10, Now therefore the sword will never depart from your house. How do you get to a king who, who's whipping everybody? You get to him through his house, through his family. And that's what begins to happen. From thine house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you, David, out of your own household, and will take the wife of thy wives before thine eyes, and give them to thy neighbor. His neighbor is going to be his son, Absalom. And Absalom takes his wives, and he gets, and the Bible says, And he shall... Be with thy wives in the sight of this sun. It'll be while the sun is shining and Israel can see and, and, and Absalom will take a tent and put it on top of a house and he'll have David's wives and concubines come into him sexually. And that's what God said he would do. Don't say God don't create evil. God says, I'll do that. God created adultery here. Is God a sinner? No. I keep saying this. Man thinks God is under the law. He's not under the law. The law was made for man. Man is under the law. The law was made for man because of transgressions. God can't transgress the law. He is above the law. He can kill whoever he wants to. He said, I kill, I make alive, I wound, I heal. I kill who I want. He killed 70,000 there in the 24th chapter of Second Samuel just because David numbered Israel. I'm going to talk about that again today because I want us to look at the Chronicles account of it. The Chronicles has got an account. I keep saying... You've got to look at sister chapters in any of the books of the Bible. If you're in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, those are called the synoptic gospels because they have a synonymous view of the things that happened. John is not a part of the synoptic gospels. There'll be things in Mark, and Matthew and Mark that are not in Luke. There'll be things in Matthew and Luke that are not in Mark. There'll be things, sometimes they'll have it in John, and that'll be in one of these others. So you've got to look at all the, all the books. If you're looking at David numbering Israel in, in 2 Samuel 24, You've got to look at David numbering Israel in First Chronicles 21. Because they're the same event. But they'll say some things over here they don't say here. So when you look at all of them, it'll tell you what is going on. You've got to learn to do that with the Bible. You say, I don't know how to do that. Well, just take your concordance. If you've got a a Thompson chain 
it'll have in the margin it'll have the other times that this particular event happened if you're over there in the gospel and Jesus is walking on the water if you look over in the margin it'll tell you the other places it's mentioned that's what that's one of the main things I like about this particular Thompson chain I like that now I'm, I have to review things for you to know some of these things. I have, I went through some of the friends of David last week, or the last message, Ishbosheth and, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, the crippled, I can't even think of his name. Anyway, I went through these. Mephibosheth. What a name to remember, huh? I went through Ishbosheth and Mephibosheth. I want to continue in the evil that God brings to David. God's going to bring evil. The Bible says, and Nathan said to David, the sword will never leave your house. Now, here's what I have to do. I've got to keep on in David's life until we exhaust this thing on David, and I've got to take you over into into first kings because david doesn't die until first kings he's over in first kings the uh second chapter i'll just read this so i'm gonna have to take you all the way through to show you all the evil that's in david's life it'll take you to the second chapter of first kings now the days of David drew nigh that he should die. So we're going to have to go through the first chapter and come up to the second chapter. And a lot of the things that God said he'd bring on David happened at the very end of his life. And the days of David drew nigh that he should die. And he charged Solomon his son saying, This phrase just always got me for since I was young. I go the way of all the earth. I'm going to die. Everybody else dies. It's my turn. Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man. What David is doing, he is quoting his own obituary right here. And I keep charge of that, the Lord thy God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest and whithersoever thou turnest thyself. All this is David's words. That the Lord may continue his word which he spake concerning me, saying, If thy children take heed to their way, to walk before me in truth. By the word, the word way is the word direct, D-E-R-E-K. It's the same thing when it was translated in the Septuagint. They, every time the word way was there, they translated it, Hodos. Hodos is the same word, straight is the way and narrows the gate. That leads to righteous. Only few find the narrow way. So this would be, if thy children take heed to the hodos, or to the direct, to walk before me in truth with all their heart, with all their soul, thou shalt not fail thee, said he, a man on the throne of Israel. But you got to behave and walk in his statutes. Moreover, thou knowest also 
what Job, the son of Zeruiah, my sister, did to me. What did he do to David? Well, he killed his friends. He killed Abner. And David hired him to kill Uriah the Hittite because because Joab was this commander-in-chief of his army. And he killed Amasa, his other nephew, that he tried to get to take Joab's place. And he killed Absalom, David's beloved Absalom's son. And what he did to the two captains of the host of Israel, unto Abner, who was a good man, he was a commander of Saul's army, the son of Ner, and to Amasa, the son of Jether, who was his, that's his nephew, whom he slew and shed the blood of war in peace and put the blood of war upon his girdle that were about his loins and in his shoes they were on his feet. Do therefore according to thy wisdom and let not his hoar head, that means gray hair, go down to the grave in peace. He's going to have to be executed is what David is saying. He never did get over his evil ways. And it goes on. I'm not going to go further. I'll come back to David's last words. And But you can look at verse 10. So David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. That was Jerusalem. And the days that David reigned over Israel were 40 years. This is verse 11. Seven years reigned he in Hebron, and 30 and three years reigned he in Jerusalem. Jesus lived to be 33 years old. Seven is the number of divine refinement. Now, we've got to cover all this coming up here about all the evil that's going to come upon David. I took you to last time in the message. I took you over here to the 21st chapter of 2 Samuel. Let's go back to there. 2 Samuel, 21st chapter. If you want to get this whole series, you'll have to get it all and listen to it to get all of it. It all had to do with God bringing evil up on David's life. First thing he did in chapter 13, he had... His son Abs, uh, not his son Absalom, his son Amnon, his oldest boy, Amnon. Amnon looked at his sister Tamar. Tamar evidently was beautiful, and he fell in love with his half sister Tamar, and he seduced her to his room, and he raped her. That was Amnon that did that. Amnon. And he raped Tamar. And Tamar's brother was Absalom. And Absalom plotted against Amnon for two years, caught him at a feast, and killed him. He murdered him. Absalom wasn't a very nice guy. He was... uh, He was... David's favorite son, David's favorite. He had that beautiful long black hair that came down over his head. He had to pull it every year because it was so long and so heavy. 
Pole means to cut. He had to cut it off short. It grew fast. And then he had to, he plotted to kill Amnon, and he killed him. And he had to run and leave. He had to leave Israel. And he went up to where his mother was in Gilead. That is just above. That's Gilead is, if this is Israel, Gilead is up here in the land of Manasseh. Gilead is up in here. So he's, he runs to his mother and she will protect him, he thinks. So after two years, Joab plans and gets him back to the land. Long story. I've already gone through it. And when he comes back to the land, he is so enamored with himself because he's so handsome. The Bible says he is a beautiful man. He's got this great personality and he's charming the people as they're coming in the gate of Jerusalem. Finally, he says, I think that I need to be the king. So he gets him 50 men to run before him. And he hasn't been made king after David. He decides to take over the kingdom from his father, David. So he amasses an army together down here in Hebron. And he gets his army and heads out for Jerusalem. David's in Jerusalem. David hears about this. And he gets his generals together, his nephew Joab, his nephew Abishai, and his dear friend Ittai, the Gittite. A Gittite was a Philistine. There's a reason he was a Philistine, loved David. David had fled there when he was running from, from Saul in 1 Samuel. And he became friends of a lot of Philistines. And this Ittai said, wherever you go, I'll go, David. So he takes off and he runs up here. And David leaves and goes across the Jordan River, which goes down from the Sea of Galilee to the Dead Sea. The source of the Jordan River is the Sea of Galilee. It flows into the Dead Sea. The reason they call it the Dead Sea, it was just like Salt Lake. It was so full of salt. You had no fish in it. They couldn't live in it. And you could go lay down in the Dead Sea and you wouldn't sink. You'd just lay there and float. Uh, the buoyancy was such that you could do that. And so, but... Uh, Joab was the pill for David. Joab and Abishai, they were, David kept saying about them. That was his sister's sons. Anytime you see uh, these sisters of Zeruiah, they're too hard for me. I can't kill them and I can't fire them. They're just there. Abishai went everywhere that David went. And Joab was his commanding general because David said, whoever conquers this city over in, it's, uh, it was, 
it wasn't Jerusalem. It was another name back then. And uh, we find that over in in uh, the 11th, the 11th chapter of First Chronicles. That's where David said, whoever smites the Jebusites. Jerusalem was once called Jebus, J-E-B-U-S. And whoever leads the army in there and conquers them, that'll be my general. And it happened to be his nephew, Joab, who was meaner than a snake. And when we get to First Kings, you're going to see Joab gets his pay for what he's done. He killed all those people, Uriah. Of course, David hired him to kill Uriah. He killed Amasa and Abner, and he killed Uriah. He killed, he just murdered people just for the fun of it. So he's going to get his comeuppance. That means he'll get his, God will get his revenge on Joab in First Kings. Now, i got to take you back to where I left off. Look over here in Second Samuel 21. Uh, Absalom goes to war with his, with David. Absalom chases him across the river to a place called Mahanium. That's a city of refuge. You say, Jim, why are you repeating this? It's hard to follow this unless you know what's going on. He comes to Mahanium, and <clears throat> that's a city of refuge. <clears throat> he sends out his three soldiers to attack Joab as he's following him over there. I'm not Joab to to uh, to attack Absalom as he's following him up through Israel and over the Jordan River, and then Absalom in this this upheaval of a war gets caught in a tree and his long tresses hang there and he just hanging in the tree. It's not killing him; he just hanging. <clears throat> and an assistant to Joab comes to Joab and says, Joab, we found Absalom. He's hanging in a tree. And Absalom asked him, why didn't you kill him? He said, David has told us not to harm him. Don't lay a finger on him. If you lay a finger on him, you're going to suffer at the hand of David. And Joab goes and finds Absalom and he throws spears through him, through his heart. Joab is not afraid of David. He's the commander of the army. The generals were always looked upon with more respect than the king. The guy that would lead him into battle and pull out his sword or his spear and head into the enemy, that's who they respected, not the king. So they respected Joab and they'd go wherever Joab said go. Anyway, so Joab, Joab kills Absalom. And then you've got these two priests, high priest Zadok and Abiathar. Now I've already told you why. There's only one high priest that's supposed to be in Israel. But both of these were high priests and they both went back. Their lineage would go back to Aaron, the high priest, why are they doing with two high priests? Zadok was the high priest under David's rule. Oh, excuse me, not under David's rule. Zadok was the high priest under Saul's rule. 
the nation is split into two kingdoms. And Saul has got a high priest. And Abiathar is the high priest that David retains because he survives a slaughter when his father, Ahimelech, is slaughters over there. I believe it's in First Samuel, the 22nd chapter. Ahimelech and 85 of the priests of God are killed by a man named Doeg, who is not an Israelite. He's a foreigner, but Doeg is traveling with Saul while Saul is chasing David. And Saul tells his soldiers that are with him, kill these 85 priests, they've helped David. He, This Ahimelech has given David a sword, and he's given him food, and... and uh, this Ahimelech is a treacherous traitor. It wasn't Ahimelech that was the traitor. It was Saul. Because God made David king and rejected Saul. Because Saul didn't do his will from the 11th chapter through the 15th chapter of First Samuel. So, and he tells his soldiers, kill these 85 priests. They said, we can't touch a priest of God. And Doig, who's a rascal, says, I'll kill him. And he steps forward and kills him. But the only one that escaped that day was Abiathar. So David says, you are true lineage of the priests. I'll have you go to the temple with Zadok, and y'all will perform everything the high priest needs to, uh, to perform. But Abiathar... He gets involved in in a coup. You know what a coup is? C O U P. Coup. That's the overthrow of a king. And he gets involved with David's son, who is Adonijah. And that happens in the first chapter of First Kings. I'll go into Adonijah later. But Abithar is not as honest as you think when you first see him. And he comes to David. And the funny thing, Abithar and Zadok had these two sons. Abithar had a son named Jonathan. Jonathan was a real common name back in the Old Testament. We had many Jonathans. And Zadok had a son named Ahimeaz, H-A-H-I-M-A-A-Z. And these were the two fastest runners in Israel, Jonathan and Ahimeaz. And when Absalom was killed and David said, don't kill him, don't touch him, and Joab didn't care what David said, he killed him anyway. And these two men... We're supposed to run back and tell David. And Ahimeaz got there first, and he couldn't open his mouth because he knew David was just a wreck over this. Because Absalom was his favorite son. Then we we come out of that, and when David was... There's so much to the story. When David was coming back, when he went in across the river, a man named Shimei... S-H-E-I-M-E-I. S-H-I-M-E-I. He 
S-H-I-M-E-I, Shimei. He was following David across the river and screaming at him, saying, he was of the tribe of Benjamin. That's what Saul was. That's the tribe that Saul was in. Saul chases David from the 19th chapter of 1 Samuel to the 31st chapter. And he's trying to kill David because he thinks becoming the king of Israel was David's idea. And it wasn't. It was God's idea. And it was Samuel that God sent down to southern Judah to anoint one of the sons of Jesse to be king and he marches seven of his sons out and God says it's none of these and he said there remains yet the youngest he's the eighth son and brings David out and says that's him it was God that appointed David and Saul is trying to kill David how can Saul kill David there's no way he could kill him God made him king and Saul thinks David made himself king But Jonathan, who is Saul's son, he loves David more than he loves his own father because he knows Jonathan. That's not this Jonathan over here. This is another Jonathan. That's the son of Abiathar. Jonathan, the son of Saul, he knows that David is supposed to be king. And he tries to protect David from his father killing David. And he, and it's all a part of the same picture. Well, we got through this, and Shimei is screaming at David and throwing rocks at him. And Abishai says, Uncle David, I'll go kill that dead dog. And David said, God has bidden him to throw stones, Abishai. Just shut your mouth. Let him throw stones. I deserve that for all that I've done. I killed. I had Uriah the Hittite killed. I got his wife pregnant. I deserve what he's doing to me. But the funny thing, after Absalom is dead, after he's dead and his army surrenders, David's coming back across the river and Shimei is welcoming me with open arms, saying, Hey, hey, David, you won. Isn't that great? That's not what he was saying when he left. When we get into First Kings, Shimei's going to get his, God's going to get his revenge over Shimei. <laughs> you can't go against the will of God and not get payback. David, these guys are humans here. They're just like us. They kill, they murder, they get people pregnant, they have incest, they they just get crazy. Sounds like, as the world earns, the young and restless in Israel. It's... I had a lady tell me one time, well, if I knew that was all in the Old Testament, I'd have read it a long time ago. Well, it's there. I've got to get on with this. Shemi's going to get his... And then we went through these two characters last week. Mephibosheth. I mean... uh, Sunday we went through Mephibosheth and Ishbosheth. They weren't as nice a guys as you think. Now, we went on down the way here, and I got to the 21st chapter. I got to past where Amasa 
which is David's other nephew, that he tries to make him tries to make him his commander and remove Joab. And Joab says, Uncle David, you can't do that to me. I'll kill this man. He did. He killed Amasa, ran a knife up in his ribs. And Amasa was a good man, just like Abner was a good man. And But this is the evil that God said he would bring upon David's house. People say, God didn't create evil. You're ignorant. You know how many times the Bible says God brought evil? People say, God won't make you sick. Micah 6.13 says, Therefore will I make thee sick in smiting thee because of thy sins, Israel. What do you mean God won't make people sick? God says he does. And when God says he'll bring inflammation and he'll bring plague, and what do you think that is? Is that sick? Does plague kill people? Death is a permanent sickness, isn't it? Good night. When God says, I create evil, people think that's the only place it's mentioned in Isaiah 45 and 7. You're very ignorant, Chad. If you don't think God creates evil, the reason you don't believe that is because you haven't read the Old Testament. He says it over and over and over and over again. Now, I want to get back to this 21st chapter. After after Joab kills Amasa in that 20th chapter, Joab thinks Amasa is trying to take his place. David appointed Amasa. Joab is his own boss. He is a bad dude. I mean, he will hurt you if you try to fight with him. But he does it subtly. He came up and put his arm around Manasseh and said, Hey, Manasseh, how you doing? With his knife, he hit him under the fifth rib. Now, here in the 21st chapter, I've got to show you some things. I didn't give this all to you last time. There was famine in Israel because of Saul's bloody house. And that's because the king called the Gibeonites and said unto them, Now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel. They were not Israelites. Gibeah was a section of Jerusalem where the Gibeonites lived. And the Gibeonites had heard how the Israel had overcome everybody they'd come in contact with. And they came to to uh, Israel and said, can we be a part of Israel? And they said, yes, but you've got to be slaves for the temple. So these are foreigners. And I want us to go back to the first place we see Gibeah. Uh, the first place we see the Jabesh Gilead in this text here the people of Gibeah live in Jabesh Gilead and the people of Jabesh let me see here what I want to get to this um I need to go somewhere before I go to this. Let me go back. No, I need to go ahead and continue this. In uh, in verse 10 
of 21. I'll come back to Jabesh in a minute. In verse 10, And Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, took sackcloth and spread it for her upon the rock. This is when this is when God says, I will kill. The people of Gibeah said, We want seven sons of Saul. Saul evidently had stopped the covenant that had been made with the Gibeonites and killed a bunch of them. Well, when he killed them, this Rizpah, do you remember Rizpah? Rizpah was a concubine. we got to go back to 2 Samuel 3 and 7. 2 Samuel 3. This will tell us who this Rizpah was. 2 Samuel 3. Three and seven. Saul had a concubine. Now Saul was dead at this point. He died in the thirty-first chapter of of First Samuel, and Saul is dead. But he had a concubine whose name was Rizpah. This is the same woman, the daughter of Aiah, and Ishbosheth said to Abner, "Wherefore hast thou gone into my father's concubine?" You won't understand that unless you understand the culture of Israel. In Israel, whoever was the king of Israel, they got to take possession of the concubines of the previous king. But Abner, who had been the commander of northern Israel, only set Ishbosheth as commander of Gilead, which is part of the tribe of Manasseh, and Abner didn't have some godly reason to appoint Ishbosheth, the surviving son of Saul, as the king of anything. And Ishbosheth has no right to the concubines, and he's correcting Abner for taking this concubine Rizpah. And and Abner jumps down Ishbosheth's throat, and Ishbosheth is terrified of Abner because this man is a formidable soldier, and he could kill a man at the drop of a hat. So Ishbosheth shuts his mouth. And so when we go back to the 21st chapter, you've always got to go back to where these people were first mentioned. And you go back over here to the 10th chapter, 21st chapter, the 21st chapter, the 10th verse. And Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, took sackcloth and spread it upon a rock from the beginning of the harvest until the water dropped upon them out of heaven. That would be, the beginning of harvest would be in March, April. The first rains came in September, October. So when it says the heavens dropped, it's talking about the first rains in September, October. And suffered neither the birds or the air to nest on them by day, nor the beast of the field by night. Because this is where they put the bodies of the seven men that the men of Gibeah said, Saul has done us an evil. He broke the covenant that God had with us, that he gave to us, and we want seven men of the sons of Saul. We want them dead. They said, we'll give you money 
what Saul did to you? They said, we don't want that. And they said in verse 6 of this 21st chapter, Let seven men of Saul's sons be delivered unto us, and we will hang them up unto the Lord in Gibeah of Saul. Gibeah was inside was inside the borders of Ephraim. Here's Ephraim right here. Excuse me, in the borders of Benjamin. Is in the border of, here's Gabeon, which is probably Gibeah. It was inside the borders. And these Gibeonites were not Israelites. They were people that were left over when they came across the river to possess the land after they'd wandered 40 years in the wilderness. When they came over here, they came and encamped at Gilgal. And these were people that God told them to drive them out, and they didn't. That's who the Gibeonites were. They were some of the Amorites that were still in Israel. Now, let's keep reading here in verse chapter 10. And let's go ahead and read verse 7 and 8. But the king spared Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth was a shady character. He was the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul. Jonathan was the one. you got to understand this. Jonathan is the one that David made a covenant with, David and Jonathan. And Jonathan had this son, Mephibosheth, and due to his covenant with Jonathan that he would never hurt Jonathan he would never hurt his children so even though Mephibosheth was a little bit on the guilty side and I don't want to go through the story of him again David or David spared Mephibosheth for Jonathan's sake now let's keep reading here so the king spared Mephibosheth the son of Jonathan the son of Saul, because of the Lord's oath that was between David and Jonathan. And between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. And the king took the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, whom she bare unto Saul, Armoni and Mephibosheth, that she bare these two. And the five sons of Michael, the daughter of Saul, whom she brought for Adriel, the son of Barzillai, who was very faithful to David, the Maholothite. And he delivered them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them because of the, because of the covenant that Saul had broken with the Gibeonites. Let me show you that. Let me show you this. If you go over to Judges, the 21st chapter, back up. This is before the books of the kings. Judges. Judges, the 21st chapter, starting in verse 8. These were the people of Gibeah. Judges 21. Judges 21, 
this is a long story. I'm going to try to make it short. The Now, let's read some of this 21st chapter. Now, the men of Israel had sworn in Mizpah, saying, There shall not any of us give his daughter unto Benjamin to wife. Here's what had happened. In the land of Benjamin, Benjamin was the twelfth son of Jacob. This is where the Benjamin, the people of Benjamin, were nearly annihilated by the rest of Israel. Because in Benjamin, they had taken a woman, the Benjamites, or the, the certain peoples in this land of Benjamin had taken this woman, the wife of a Levite, and they had raped her. And they took her and cut her up, and her, her husband took her. They raped her and killed her. And he, they took the husband took her body and cut it in twelve pieces and sent it throughout all of Israel. That has a has a, a shadow picture of all of Israel being guilty. And they they go to the. The Israel goes, sends messengers to Benjamin and says, uh, we want you to deliver these guilty men. And Benjamin says, we're not doing it. We're not going to deliver anybody to you. If you remember in the 49th chapter of Genesis, where Jacob is dying or Israel is dying, Jacob's name was Israel. And God is giving the blessings and the cursings upon all these young men, these his twelve sons, starting with Reuben down to Benjamin. He said Benjamin was a young was a young lion. He was like a fighter. And you can tell that in this in this section here. In fact, if you look at verse forty three of verse twenty, thus they enclosed Benjamites round about and chased them and trod them down with ease over against Gibeah toward the sunrising. And there fell of the Benjamin, of the tribe of Benjamin, 18,000 men. All these were men of valor. They're just, they're killing them right and left. Benjamin declares, declares war. Benjamin declares war against the other 11 tribes of Israel. Boy, that's a lot of gall. Look at verse 45. And they turned and fled toward the wilderness unto the rock Rimmon, and they gleaned of them in the highways 5,000 men and pursued hard after them unto Gidom, and slew two thousand men of the of the Benjamin. So then they which fell that day of Benjamin were twenty and five thousand men that drew the sword, and all these were men of valor. And six hundred men turned and fled to the wilderness. Now look down here in verse chapter twenty one. Now the men of Israel had sworn in Mizpah, saying. There shall not any of us give any daughter to Benjamin to wife. All the women were killed in this battle. In the, while the eleven tribes, name them, all of them, declare war against Benjamin. Whew. Right here. 
All of these are going to war with Benjamin. That's it. They had to be a young lion to do that. And they were willing to take them on. They said, you can't have these men that raped this woman. You can't have them. This is one of the few times in the Bible where it looks like one of the tribes might be annihilated. In fact, they say that down here in verse 7. How shall we do for wives of them that remain, seeing we have sworn by the Lord that we will not give them our daughters to wives. Most people never even preach about this, about the tribe of Benjamin coming to the place of annihilation. They were close to it. And they said, what? Well, I'm going to have to back up and read some of the earlier part of the chapter. Verse 2. Verse 2. And the people came to the house of God and abode there till even before God and lifted up their voices and wept sore and said, O Lord God of Israel, why is it, why is this come to pass in Israel that there should be today one tribe lacking in Israel? Is, is Benjamin going to be wiped out? And it came to pass on the morrow that the people rose early and built there an altar and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And the children of Israel said, Who is there among all the tribes of Israel that come not up with the congregation unto the Lord? For they that have made a great oath concerning him that came not up to the Lord to, to Mizpah, saying, He shall surely be put to death. And the children of Israel repented them for Benjamin, their brother, and said, There is one tribe cut off from Israel this day. Looks like Benjamin's going to be annihilated. That's really a peculiar because there were 12 apostles, and one of them was annihilated. That was Judas. But there was a... There was an apostle that came to take his place. How shall we do for wives for Benjamin that remain, seeing we have sworn by the Lord that we will not give them of our daughters to wives? And they said, What one is there of the tribes of Israel that came not to Mizpah to the Lord to fight against the tribes of Benjamin? And behold, there came none to the camp from Jabesh Gilead. That's very significant. To the assembly. Jabesh Gilead was up in the land of Gilead, which was the tribe of Manasseh up here. That's where it was. For the people were numbered, and behold, there were none of the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead there. They're saying, whoever didn't come, we're going to kill them. And the congregation sent thither 12,000 men of the most valiant and commanded them, saying, Go and smite the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead with the edge of the sword and with the women and the children. And this is the thing that ye shall do. Ye shall utterly destroy every male of Jabesh-Gilead and every woman that hath lain by man. 
and they found among the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead 400 young virgins that had not known man by lying with any male and they brought them unto the camp to Shiloh which is in the land of Canaan and the whole congregation sent some to speak to the children of Benjamin that were in the rock Remen. That's where they fled to, hiding from the rest of the Israel, and to call peaceably unto them. And Benjamin came again at that time, and they gave them these wives of these virgins, which they had saved alive of the women of Jabesh Gilead. And yet so they sufficed them not. And the people repented them for Benjamin, for Benjamin having rebelled against the rest of Israel, because that the Lord had made a breach, a gap, a separation in the tribes of Israel between the eleven, between the tribe of Benjamin. Then the elders of the congregation said, How shall we do for wives for them that remain, seeing the women are destroyed out of Benjamin? So most of the women were destroyed. They were in that big battle. All those thousands were killed when Israel attacked the land of Benjamin, which was a part of Israel. And they said there must be an inheritance for them that be escaped to Benjamin, that a tribe be not destroyed out of Israel. I've never heard a preacher even deal with this. Howbeit, we may give them wives of our daughters, for the children of Israel have sworn, saying, Cursed be he that giveth a wife to Benjamin. So we're going to bypass that law. Then they said, Behold, there is a feast of the Lord in Shiloh. Now watch how they do. Watch what they do. It's very interesting. Which is on the north side of Bethel. Bethel, house of the Lord. That's where Jacob stopped when he was running from his brother because he'd stolen his inheritance. Stopped at Bethel. It's actually called Luz, and then God sent these angels down on a ladder from heaven and named it Bethel, the house of the Lord. Bethel means house. El is the Lord. On the east side of the highway that goeth from Bethel to Shechem and on the south of Lebonah, therefore they commanded the children of Benjamin, saying, Go and lie in wait in the vineyard. He's talking to these men. Go to line the way to a vineyard and see and behold if the daughters of Shiloh come out and dance and dances. Then come ye out of the vineyards and catch ye every man his wife. Grab one of the women. That'll be your wife. Boy, just think. Hope you get a pretty one, you know. No, don't get a homely woman of the daughters of Shiloh and go to the land of Benjamin and it shall be when their fathers of their brethren come unto us to complain that we will say unto them be favorable unto them for our sakes because we reserve not to each man his wife in the war because in that war between Benjamin and the rest of Israel they killed all the women off as well as all those thousands of men For ye did not give them at this time that ye should be guilty. 
And the children of Benjamin did so and took them wives according to their number. These were some virgins that were in the rest of Israel. Of them that danced whom they caught, and they went and returned unto their inheritance, repaired the cities, and dwelt in them. If you notice, and look at verse 25, In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. If you notice, these were Jabesh Gilead people. What does that have to do with God? Go over here. To First Samuel, the the thirty the twenty I'll get it right the thirty first chapter of First Samuel. That's the last book in Samuel. It's the last book. And look here. This is where Saul dies and it has to do with the men of Jabesh Gilead. Chapter 31, let's read in verse 1. This is the end of Saul's life. This is where he dies. And the Philistines fought against Israel and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell down slain in Mount Gilboa. That's Saul's last fight i could go through the previous chapters but i don't want to do that right now and the philistines followed hard upon saul and upon his sons and the philistines slew jonathan the one that david loved so much that saved david's life he kept trying to save david and he did a lot and Abinadab and Melchishua, saul's sons i will bring this out you remember the night before Saul went to this witch of Endor, and that's in that that's in that twenty eighth chapter, and said, Bring me up Samuel. And this witch of Endor said, You're Saul, you've outlawed people like me. I can't bring him up. But God brought Samuel up, and here's what he said to Saul. Saul fell upon his own sword in that thirty first chapter, and people will say, If you commit suicide you can't go to heaven. Saul was a believer. There was none goodlier, none, nobody goodlier than Saul in Israel, in that, in that eight, in that ninth chapter of First Samuel. He was a good man at first, but he got jealous of David and he wanted to kill him from the nineteenth chapter all the way up to this end of the book. And verse, and. Saul talks to Samuel, who's been dead for two years in this chapter. And uh, in verse 19, well, in verse 18, this is, set, this is in, verse, in chapter 28 of 1 Samuel. This is Samuel's words to Saul. Because thou obeyedest not the voice of the Lord, talking about, all the way through the book when he's chasing David, he didn't obey God in the in the eleventh through the fifteenth chapter, never did what God said. Because thou badest not the voice of the Lord, nor executest his fierce wrath upon Amalek, therefore hath the Lord done this thing unto thee this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with thee into the hand of the Philistines tomorrow. 
and tomorrow shall thou and thy sons be with me. Samuel was surely with the Lord, wasn't he? He didn't say if you don't kill yourself, did he? No. Thou and thy sons will be with me, and the Lord shall deliver the host of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. That was that was Samuel's words. He's been dead for two years when Saul talked to him. God brought him up. Then you go back over here to the 31st chapter and go to verse 3. And the battle went sore against Saul, and the archers hit him, and he was so wounded of the archers. Then said Saul unto the armor-bearer, Draw thy sword and thrust me through therewith, lest these uncircumcised Philistines come and thrust me through and torture me. Abuse means to torture they would do all kinds of things to him. They were as cruel as a man can be. But his armor bearer would not, for he was sore afraid. Therefore, he was afraid to kill the king. Afraid he'd receive judgment for it. Therefore, Saul took a sword and fell upon it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell likewise upon his sword and died with him. So Saul died and his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men that same day together. And when the men of Israel that were on the other side of the valley and they were on the other side of Jordan saw that the men of Israel fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook the cities and fled and the Philistines came and dwelt in them. And it came to pass on the morrow when the Philistines came to strip the slain that they found Saul and his three sons fallen in Mount Gilboa. And they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent into the land of the Philistines round about to publish it in the house of their idols and among the people. Saul's dead! And they put his armor in the house of Ashtaroth, the female god deity. And they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. And when the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard of that which the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night. These are the guys that had been condemned over there in the book of Judges. But they saved them because they took some of the women and gave them to the Benjamites. And the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bashan came to Jabesh and burnt them there. And they took their bones and buried them under a tree at Jabesh and fastened fasted seven days now I want us to go over here to to second Samuel 21 21 Jabez Gilead goes all the way back over there to judges 21. 
10, verse 8. And the king took the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, whom she bare unto Saul. And it's saying she bore Armani and Mephibosheth and the five sons of Michael, the daughter of Saul. Mephibosheth is not one of them that's going to be killed because David is taking care of him because of his covenant with his father, Jonathan, whom he brought up from Adriel, the son of Barzillai, the the Methalite. Now, David is saving and Beth Jabesh Gilead was the ones that that saved Saul saved Saul's body. Now let's keep on reading. Then down here in verse twelve, David went and took the bones of Saul, where they were buried by the men of Jabesh Gilead in the twenty first chapter of first Samuel. And the bones of Jonathan, his son, the same place, from the men of Jabesh-Gilead, which had stolen them from the street of Bashan, where the Philistines had hanged them when the Philistines had slain Saul in Gilboa. So Jabesh-Gilead is being honored because they took care of Saul's bones. And he brought from thence the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan his son. And they gathered the bones of them that were hanged and the bones of Saul and Jonathan his son, who loved David, and buried them in the country of Benjamin and Zelah in the sepulcher of Kish his father. And they performed all that the king commanded. And after that, God was entreated for the land and then you go into what i read to you the other day about see jabesh gilead was honored saul broke the covenant with jabesh gilead and david restored it saul had evidently done something wrong and that's why they they said we want his seven of his sons seven of saul's sons heads want you to cut their heads off and kill them and hang them now, we went through this, the rest of this chapter. This is where they fight Goliath's, they fight Goliath's descendants in the rest of this chapter. I want you to notice something. In that 22nd chapter, this is a psalm of David. You find the psalms not just in the book of Psalms. You find them here. You find them over in the books of Moses, either in Deuteronomy. You find one of the Psalms in Deuteronomy. The Psalms were written by several people. David was just one of them. Moses was another. And Asaph, the song leader, the man who led the singing at the temple of David, and Solomon, he wrote some of the Psalms. If you'll notice here, everything he's talking about in this 22nd chapter is about God delivering him from all of his enemies. And this has been some kind of a story that we've gone through about God creating evil in David's life. 
Let's read there in the 22nd chapter. David spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord had delivered him out of the hand of all of his enemies and out of the hand of, the, of Saul. And he said, so when he said, he said it's going to talk about the words of David. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. You can read this 22nd chapter when you get in trouble and you think you can't undertake all the things. Just remember David and all the things we said he went through with his nephews and with his sons and they're killing each other and they're raping his daughters and all this kind of stuff. Then he says in verse 3, all through this, all the way down to verse 51 is one of David's psalms. Let me just read a few excerpts from it. Verse 3, The God of my rock and him will I trust. He is my shield. When you're going through, you've never been through the things David's been through. His sons killing each other and murdering one another and raping the daughters. and It's got to be really rough. He says, and that's a prayer that I pray all the time lord fight my battles i used to try to fight my own battles you can't fight against the enemies that god raises up against you there's no way you can do that nobody can the lord is my rock in him will i trust he is my shield the horn of my salvation horn means power he's the power of my salvation my high tower a high tower was on the ends of a city and they had these high towers they could look and see when the enemy was coming my refuge my savior thou savest me from violence i will call on the lord who is worthy to be praised so shall i be saved from my enemies keep that in your mind when you think you have enemies you can't deal with david said god will save me from my enemies I don't care what you're going through in life. When the waves of death compass me, do you think when David thought and Saul was trying to kill him and chasing him, and he thought, surely he's going to catch me and kill me one day. The floods of the ungodly men made me afraid. It's easy to be afraid when the ungodly men come after you. The sorrows of hell compassed me about. The snares of death prevented me or went before me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried to my God. And he did hear my voice out of his temple. And my cry did enter unto his ears. All you got to do is when you're going through things you can't handle, call upon God and say, you fight this battle. I'm not going to. I can't. It says down there in the. Then the earth shook, verse 8, trembled, and foundations of heavens moved and shook because he was wroth. God was wroth at my enemies. Verse 9, there went up smoke out of his nostrils, out of God's nostrils, because he is angry at my enemies, David said. And fire out of his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. That's what God will do to your enemies when you get completely committed to him and bow to his will. He bowed the heavens also and came down, and darkness was under his feet. He rode upon a cherub and did fly, and he was seen upon the wings of the wind. 
nothing can stop God. Look down at 14. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered His voice. He's talking about when we call upon Him to fight our battles. I don't care what your battle is. You can read this chapter and and depend on God. He sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and discomfited these enemies of mine. The channels of sea appeared, and the foundations of the world were discovered at the rebuking of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. That's how you'll fight your enemy. He sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy. I don't care what your enemy is. It can be your situation. It can be your spouse. It can be your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, or your employer. He'll deliver you out of it. His way. When you're committed to him. And from them that hated me. I like that verse 18. He delivered me from my strong enemy. And from them that hated me. For they were too strong for me. I took me forever to learn that. You can't rise up and fight your enemies. Say, I'll get you back with your orge. You can't do that. They hate you. They're too strong. They're always too strong for us. They prevented me in the day of my calamity. They went before me. But the Lord was my stay. He was my rock, my the thing that kept me from being destroyed by them. He brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. If he delights in you, you've been a sinner. Repent. Come to him. Or he'll come to you when you repent. And he'll deliver whatever your problem is. David is telling us this is how we get out of all our problems. Depend on him, not ourselves. We don't fight back at our enemies. Then he says in verse 22, I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. Well, he's talking about when I started repenting after I committed adultery and murder, I haven't departed. But God said the sword will come upon you and God would bring evil upon your house, David. For all his judgments were before me. As for his statutes, I did not depart from them. Especially since Nathan rebuked me and I repented. And I was also upright before him. All through here. Verse 26, with merciful with the merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful. You've got to show mercy on other people. And with upright men, thou shalt show thyself upright. With the pure, thou shalt show thyself pure. In verse 27. With the froward or the twisted, you'll show yourself unsavory. The afflicted people will save. Thou will save in verse 28. If you're afflicted and you're going through the narrow way, he'll save you. In verse 29, for thou art my lamp, O Lord. The Lord will lighten my darkness. That's what he'll do for our lives. Verse 31, as for the God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all them that trust in him. A buckler was a shield 
It was a piece of armor on a man. For who is God save the Lord and who is a rock save our God? David's telling you, when you're going through hard times in your life and you don't know what to do all through this chapter, he's telling you what you need to do. Depend on God and stop trying to fight your own battles. All through this chapter, he teaches my hands to war in verse 35. But our war is with the Holy Spirit. We take the Holy Spirit and we will the sword of God. And he says in verse 38, I pursued my enemies and destroyed them. In verse 41, Thou hast also given me the necks of mine enemies that I might destroy them that hate me. I've had people that were my enemies in the past. They were trying to stop me when I was in the music business. Most of them are dead now. God destroyed them. All through here. Look at verse 48. It is God that avengeth me. I can't avenge myself. David says that all through this psalm. You see, this is Second Samuel. It is a psalm of David. In verse 49, And that bringeth me forth from mine enemies. This whole chapter is about God fighting your battle for you. All you got to do is commit to him. He'll take care of the rest. Thou also, verse 49, hath lifted me up on high above that them that rose up against me. Everything is about his enemies. Thou hast delivered me from the violent man. He's shown mercy to his anointed, verse 51. And that's, that's a psalm of David. Now, how much time do I have, Mike? I'm going to go through the next chapter. Chapter 23 is about David numbering his mighty men and boasting about it and, and as if to say, these are the men that saved me. And God says, they're not the ones that saved you. I saved you. And because he numbers all these men in chapter 24, He numbers the men of Israel, and he ends up with a vast number of men, but he doesn't say it in this chapter. He tells you in the 21st chapter of 1 Chronicles how many men he had. Let's look at 1 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles is a sister chapter to this 24th chapter of 1 Samuel. If you're going to read... Samuel, look at the Chronicles and see what the corresponding chapter is. In 1 Chronicles 21, I'm going to see if we can't look through this. Now there's a difference here. Let me show you something. In in 2 Samuel 21, excuse me, 24 and 1, again the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he moved David against Israel to say, Go number Israel and Judah. What he's doing, he's already bragged on all these mighty men in that previous chapter, 23. 
So God says, this is evil because you've numbered Israel and I moved you to number them. It's evil because he's giving credit to this large army that he's got and he's right at the end of his life. The next page after the 24th chapter is the first chapter of 1 Kings. And that's where Solomon is going to become king. But not before Adonijah tries to assume the throne deviously. Tries to steal the throne out of David's care. And then you go over here to 1 Chronicles. It says God moved David to number Israel in verse 1 of chapter 24 and chapter 21 of First Chronicles and Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel says Satan here what's the difference Satan in Hebrew is the word Satan Satan means adversary Remember that David was called the Satan of the Philistines over in... He was actually called the adversary. The word adversary is the word Satan. David was called the Satan of the Philistines. David has made himself the adversary of God at the very end of Second Samuel because he numbers Israel, talks about all these mighty men... And when God delivered out of David out of Saul's hand, David at the most would have 400 to 600 men, usually 400. He had 600 men at one time. God says, it's not your numbers that delivered you. And it was sin against God. So let's keep reading here in the 21st chapter. Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. So I believe that was either God or God putting it in Satan's mind to go into David's mind. David said to Joab and to the rulers of the people, Go number Israel from Beersheba even to Dan. At that time, at that point in time, Beersheba was the most southern city in Israel. Dan was the most northern city. Beersheba was down here. Dan was up here. And bring the number of them to me that I may know it. And Joab answered, The Lord made his people an hundred times so many more as they be. He said, When we were in battle, David, you got to remember, God made them a hundred times more than they numbered. There were 7,000. 7,000 fighting men went against 120,000 men in first kings when they were fighting the men of syria the army of syria ben hadad's men and he said they slew them all 120,000 that's what he means when he says the lord made his people a hundred times many more as they actually are but my lord the king are they not all my lord's servants why then doth my lord require this thing why are you requiring to number israel why will he be a cause of trespass to israel nevertheless the king
king's word prevailed against Joab. Wherefore Joab departed and went. That's amazing that Joab, with his murderous heart, would tell King David it wasn't the numbers that we had that conquered because we couldn't have conquered with the numbers. They they actually were more in power than they they were in numbers of people. Wherefore Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came to Jerusalem. And Joab gave the sum of the number of the people unto David. And all they of Israel were a thousand thousand. That's one million. One million. That's a thousand thousand. And a hundred thousand men that drew the sword. A million, one hundred thousand, one hundred thousand. So that's a million, one hundred thousand. And Judah was four hundred, three score, four hundred. A score is six, sixty. A score is twenty, three score is sixty. So here's four hundred, three score and ten. So there's, there's four hundred and sixty. 70,000, 470, 470,000. Well, let me erase this. 470, 470,000. 470,000 that drew the sword. 70, 470,000. Now, this is what David's doing. He's taking credit. With all these men, and God said it wasn't a number. But David and Benjamin counted not, counted he not among them, for the king's word was abominable to Joab. So what they had was a million five hundred and seventy thousand. Five hundred and seventy thousand. But you don't have that number in the 24th chapter of Second Samuel. You don't have it here. So he had over a million and a half men, fighting men in Israel. God said, that's not what won you. You had 400 at one time. When Saul had you, he had you backed up in a, in a place where you had no way out. If I hadn't sent the Philistines against Jerusalem and a guy coming in and hollering at Saul, you had 400 people and he had thousands that had you in this box canyon. And if I hadn't sent a Philistine over, I sent a messenger saying, the Philistines are attacking Jerusalem. Saul took off. You would have died, David. It wasn't a number then. It had nothing to do with the number. It's only 400 that was why David never got over a lot of his pride. Let's finish reading the rest of this. And Levi and Benjamin counted he not among them, for the king's word was abominable to Joab. And God was displeased with this thing. Therefore, he smote Israel. God smote. God killed Israelites. And David said unto God, I have sinned greatly because I have done this thing 
But now I beseech thee, do away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done foolishly counting these million and a half men. And the Lord spake unto Gad, David's seer, saying, Go tell David. Now he says these same things over there. But he says something over in the 24th chapter of 2 Samuel. He doesn't say here. He says some things here. He doesn't say there. Go tell David, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I offer you three things. Sword, famine, pestilence. You've got to choose which one I'm going to use to destroy you. Choose thee of them that I may do unto thee. And so Gad came to David and said, Choose one of these three, David. Boy, how would you like to have that choice? Either three years famine in Israel, three months to be destroyed before your foes, while they while the sword of thine enemy overtakes thee, or else three days the sword of the Lord, even the pestilence in the land. And David says, I'll take the pestilence from the Lord. He's merciful. Well, God struck. The best way to look at it is look at what? Look at Second Samuel, the last chapter. It doesn't say it in this chapter, but it tells you what it is in Second Samuel, the 24th chapter. In Second Samuel, the 24th chapter, the Bible says he killed 70,000 men of Israel, fighting men of Israel. 70,000. And then the death angel goes to strike Israel, strike Jerusalem and kill everybody there. And God, and God says, death angel, step back. I have done enough evil. To Israel, killing these 70,000. He says that in the 24th chapter of 2 Samuel, but he doesn't say that in the 21st chapter of 1 Chronicles. So you got to read both chapters to get the whole story. I'm out of time. It's been a difficult message because I was wanting to say a bunch of things that I wasn't able to get to. Um, when you get into all those characters of the judges, getting all these battles it's the reason i believe most preachers don't go into it they don't study it enough to really understand it it's a lot of understanding a lot of studying they may pull a verse out or a little section out i want you to see the whole picture of the old testament well let's pray father thank you for truth thank you for your word Fight our battles for us. I can't fight them anymore. Stop the people that would hurt this ministry. I'll serve you, God. Forgive me of sin. And Lord, I pray that you'll strengthen this ministry. I pray for these people that have asked me to pray for them that are struggling with the virus and with give them strength to get through it, like Robert done in Houston. He's having a hard time with it. I pray you'll give him strength to get through. I can't pray that you'll make him love. Well, you've got this thing set the way you want, so we bow to your will. Just give him strength to get to get through what he's got to go through. And these others that are struggling, Robin down in Amarillo and Danielle and down in... Louisiana, down in Prairieville. 
strengthen your sheep. Open the doors for this ministry wide open so we can reach the world if possible. But the only people in the world we want to reach is your elect. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.